Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Jeff Parker. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> thanks for coming coming out. <laughs> this program is pre-taped, um, so so you'll be you'll be listening to us sometime so in you time. Can edit out all the stupid things I say. <laughs> oh no, we never edit, so oh, don't shoot. worry. It's all <laughs> it's all gonna be right here. Okay. <laughs> it's just as if just like live. Just fresh. Um, <laughs> but that song, we'll have to come back to Warm Devil. I, I might have to ask you if I could keep that as the permanent living writer's intro. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all yours. I like that I already know the words. Yeah, there's not too much rote memorization there. Inflection. It's all about inflection. That's true. <laughs> the personality really has a chance to shine through in that. Exactly. A little ditty. Exactly. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. That's maybe more about Worm Devil then. But um, to kick us off, I'll read from um, Jeff Parker is in in town, and he's going to be reading at EMU. Are you going to read from Oven Man, your, your book from Tin House, Jeff? Or? Probably, yeah. I'll probably read something from there and maybe something else. I don't know yet. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh la la. Okay, so I'll just read your bio out of the back, and uh, and we'll go from there. Okay. Jeff Parker's fiction and nonfiction have appeared in the Best American Non-Required Reading, Hobart, Plowshares, Tin House, and other journals. He currently teaches at the University of Toronto and is the program director of Summer Literary Seminars in St. Petersburg, Russia. He lives in Toronto, Canada. He is a living writer. <laughs> as far as we know. Yeah. yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> and before we go any further, thanks to Alex Belhodge for engineering today, uh, for today's program. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> I always sometimes pause feeling like there'll be some applause coming from, yeah. I don't know, somewhere. Some magical place. Certainly someone's <laughs> applauding somewhere. Yes, and a tree is something. falling. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so you're, this is almost like a homecoming of sorts. I, is that fair to say? Because part of your biography includes Ypsilanti, Michigan. Pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I taught at Eastern Michigan University for three years. Uh, I just left last year. And yeah, um, you know, oddly enough, I was, uh, I was sad to leave that place. There are a lot of things going on in Ypsilanti. Right down the road, so. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I lived across from um, a triumvirate of institutions, including um, the BP gas station, Lover's Lane, Sex Shop, and um, one of the most popular liquor stores in all of Ypsilanti. Well, it seems But it, like was a nice, uh, it was a nice landscape to wake up to each morning and to go to bed by with the flicker of Lover's Lane turquoise and... <laughs> violet lights sort of the pulse of life just there before you yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) right on washington ave road washington road that's funny yeah i always just call it washington so so i don't know yeah so yeah so you gave all that up so that Mm -hmm. you could go full-time up to toronto where it seems cleaner sometimes canada (laughs) just always seems like no matter what a cleaner, like like Vancouver is a cleaner, safer Seattle or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty wrong. clean. The uh, the homeless people dress much better there. Kind of snazzy. Somehow, yeah. I don't know why. Or maybe because it's so cold. Maybe someone gives them clothes. I don't know. How, do, how are you liking <laughs> Toronto? <laughs> oh, I like Toronto. Um, Toronto's a nice city. Um, 
And you know, the school, how is uh, the university Well, there? it's quite it's different than Eastern. It's much bigger. Um, classes are much bigger. Um, but I had a great, uh, I had a great fondness for what we were doing out there at Eastern. Um, they have a really innovative creative writing program out there. Um, you know, it's got a very, um, it's got a very relaxed vibe to it. Most of the students from, um, uh, you know, from the suburbs of Detroit and whatnot, it has, um, I, I can't say as I've ever quite taught at a place like that, uh, where it else feels really good to be there. So. Where Where else have you taught for your frame of reference, Jeff? Oh, I've been all over. Um, I went to grad school in Syracuse, so started teaching up there. was in Arizona for a little while and in Ohio and before I moved uh, up here. Mostly teaching creative writing or essays or mm. what, what's, what, are you, mm. what do you teach? Teaching whatever they'd let me teach. Usually having to do with writing or literature, finding my way through it. So, um, it was sort of I was always, um, you know, before I got my my full time job here uh, at Eastern, I was always, you know, piecing together a, a living out of doing some adjunct work, working in restaurants. Uh, when Christmas came around, taking the obligatory like three weeks at three week UPS shift. The Whatever. The obligatory. Just, yeah. Did yeah. you did you look good in the khaki? <laughs> um, it's not khaki. It's brown. Oh, it's very brown. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But um, <laughs> my mistake. No, no. And the problem Apologies is the problem is uh, they don't tailor the uniforms for the for the uh, seasonal employees. So I'd invariably have pants that were like a foot long. Um, so you'd have to like fold them up and safety pin them. Oh, more than an it extra wasn't, foot It wasn't line. a good look. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but actually, you learn a lot uh, working there about how to stack boxes. That was really interesting because you're you're always working. You're always second fiddle to someone who's been doing it for a decade or more, and they really know geometry. They really know how to pack boxes in. So that was always fun. It's interesting entering into those workspaces because that actually connects to Oven Man, where you have this um, the the characters and the the world that you create there. It's it's definitely believable. Like you know, either you. It seems like you know the worlds well, and there's always a hierarchy within the restaurant world or what <laughs> those sort of communities. So even at UPS, there's that hierarchy of the people and what it and the best way to stack boxes. It's oh yeah, yeah, uh huh, um, yeah. Well, in the book, um, you know, unlike the other people, the the narrator sort of takes his, um, you know, the minuscule duties of his job very seriously. So. Um, I imagine that there probably exist in the world UPS drivers who don't don't uh, pay attention to the geometry of their box stacking, but I'm sure that results <laughs> in tremendous inefficiency in terms of the amount of packages they can carry. Right, so. and and sitting here, we can sit in judgment and say we can they're lesser people because <laughs> of that. <laughs> no, well. no, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. What is I'm sure that I mean it's fair to say there are lesser UPS uh, drivers than those who, you know, are are adept at their box stacking. But so. the way that you have, um, uh, can you introduce us to your main character, Wen, a little bit? Wen Thinfinger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, uh, 
you know, I um, I grew up on uh, loving like lots of the books that I think uh, probably lots of uh, young American writers love. Which ones? Oh, well, you know, just the sort of obligatory one that comes to mind is like Catcher in the Rye because you're usually introduced to that at a young age. And so that's usually one of the early ones that catches people's attention and it has some, you know, of the energy of youth and whatnot to it. So it's it's very attractive in that way. But, you know, there's this whole sort of lineage of... Um, books in that line which are kind of um you know they're about sort of preternaturally sort of gifted like literary uh, young americans you know and and while i was always taken with that and while i admire all those books i always uh I mean, I wasn't, like, raised in a... I didn't go to prep schools, or I wasn't, like, raised in that kind of environment. So it always seemed to me that, uh, you know, the people I knew and uh, the the kinds of, uh, you know, less articulate um, people who uh, who weren't, like, confident enough in themselves to label certain elements of the world phony, you know, these kinds of people were somehow not represented, you know. So I wanted to... I wanted to write the uh, a strong sort of first-person, voice-driven uh, narrative from the perspective of a character who wasn't that smart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has a kind of intelligence, I suppose, um, but, um, you know, in terms of, like, book smarts and whatnot, that's not his bag, so... Um, you know, he he thinks of himself as a as an artist in terms of the fact that he writes uh, sort of idiotic songs, trying to make sense of uh, his experience. Um, in that sense, he's something of a poet. But in yes. every other sense, he makes lots of dumb decisions. He's not very reflective, um, and so in that sense, you know, I I felt like. Um, I felt like he wasn't uh, the gifted kind of narrator that we so often come across. And that was uh, that was some of the confines that I wanted to to deal with. You know, how do you tell a story from the perspective of someone who's just simply not that reflective? Well, it presents certain problems, so. So, how did you find yourself uh the, like not comp- compensating for well, developing the character in those ways without I don't know, adding these kind of insights that maybe in your other writing, it seems like there's reflective moments and insights to the character. Uh, how did you, or did you find yourself culling that away or, or just... Well, I mean, to be completely honest, I had, I had some really good editors uh, at Tin House who, who helped me a lot. Um, but, you know, that said, uh, probably the thing that I most resisted out of their, um, out of their edits was... Um, you know, they uh, some of their requests were very often for lots more sort of reflection and introspection and whatnot, and and I resisted a lot of that because I just felt that it, you know, I felt that it was important that that wasn't this kind of guy, and he's very much he's sort of a creature of um, velocity and uh, inertia, and he just sort of goes, you know, and he makes decisions on the fly without really considering their their consequences and whatnot. So, you know, that that was the kind of psyche I wanted to deal with. And it does it does sort of limit the, the scope of uh, what the novel can do, I think. But 
Nonetheless, so, so in answering your question, I think that uh, I think that I had some good editing that allowed me to sort of um, or, or redirected my attention to some scenes in which I was able to, you know, using dialogue and whatnot, sort of show more, um, you know, more of the inner workings right. of the psychology. Or, so. or by maybe also by the the people that you show us who are like uh, in relation to him, whether it's his his best friend Blaze, or or his his girlfriend Marigold, and 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 who they are as characters as well. Right. And so, and with him and the connections and non connections to them, even though they're the most important people and or his family uh, in his life or his bio dad as he calls him. Right. <laughs> you know. It, yeah, it is. And Blaze, like, when we're introduced to his friend, apparently he's um, bought back uh, the bike that they lost when they had been drinking um, the night before, when, mm -hmm. Wen's bike. And then, but then he actually makes Wen buy the ba bike back from him. Um, and you kind of have the sense that he definitely inflated the price that he probably bought it. Right. <laughs> he's yeah. like making, and then he's like, that's just the kind of friends, you know, that's how we coped with each other or something. Yeah, there's some, um, you know, that friendship is complicated because uh, the narrator sort of really admires that guy and uh, the way he has with the world um, because it's, you know, he has a kind of confidence and a way of interacting with people that he just doesn't have. And But, but yet, yet he fails um, when quite a bit throughout the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. And of course, when sort of betrays him too. So yes, not that I don't know if you want to say that or not, but yeah, anymore <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, we I mean, we shouldn't be too mysterious. Uh, we'll talk about what people can know about it. So yeah, the characters okay. are. Um, well, and so it's set in Florida. The opening lines basically let us know that right away. Were you picturing the the University of Florida where you all where you went for your um, undergrad? Your BS yeah, in journalism, if that's correct. <laughs> Shockingly, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the place I was imagining, Gainesville. Um, but oddly enough, um, I, I went back through there on my on the, the reading tour. And, uh, you know, I just had, while I was writing this, I had this apprehension to, to naming the city. And Why? so I said, well, I, I, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know exactly. I just didn't want to, uh, to locate it in a, in a real place. I sort of wanted to use, um, use that landscape without sort of denoting it. But I was really glad I did that because when I went back through and I hadn't been there in 10 years, and uh, I'd been back to Florida, but I hadn't been back to Gainesville. And when I went back through, it just struck me as a totally different place. It wasn't how I remembered it at all. And so um, um, I was glad that I, that I hadn't located it there because I think it's, you know, the time is really the landscape there. Florida is important because uh, I think Florida is a strange place, but also I really, uh, I needed the heat. Um, I mean, it's oven man, so the landscape has to be hot. So it wouldn't really have made sense to set it in Ipsy, the Yukon. Yeah, the Yukon. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> different book entirely. Yeah. Look for that, folks. Freezer, coming. Freezer Man. Freezer that's the man. sequel. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> An Inuit protagonist. But, yeah. There's gonna be. It's gonna. I can see the trajectory of your <laughs> career now, Jeff. Yeah. Um, 
uh, we'll, maybe we'll take a short break uh, on that note, and we'll we'll come back. And uh, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today, Jeff Parker. When I was younger, I lived in fear That incarceration of some kind is near I checked my head, intact with rules I nearly became a goddamn fool But I've heard voices, not in the head Out in the air, they call the head Through ripped out speakers through thick and thin They found a shelter Under my skin How many Darkest moments And a trap still ahead of us How many Final frontiers Wake on a mountain Maybe no victory was But if you of sacred art and stuck it out through thick and thin That knows you become the one with indestructible And so no longer live I in fear Them are too greedy to pay my asylum bills This is my life and freedom's my profession This is my mission throughout the whole flight duration There is a core Welcome back. If you're just joining us, uh, it's Living Writers. Today, Jeff Parker, and um, we've got his book on the table with us, Oven Man. Uh, and that was uh, Go Go Bordello. <laughs> Little number. <laughs> um, Jeff, so they, you've actually... They've figured into your life in one way or another. Not like it doesn't define your life, but well, I've gone, I've gone to see them uh, quite a few times. Yeah, they're a pretty, uh, pretty great band. They call their genre gypsy punk. So, uh, but they're uh, they're primarily uh, Russian immigrants, so they attract um, a lot of Russian immigrants in the U.S. So their shows are usually uh, a lot of fun, really raucous, lots of drink, lots of frivolity. <laughs> you know, they have a really old Russian guy like playing a violin on stage, which is kind of weird for a punk outfit. So, so where have you seen them? In what what places? Oh, I saw them in Toronto not long ago. I saw them in Detroit once. Saw them in San Francisco once. In New York once. Yeah. yeah wow. So a, a true handful of times, and that that it's a really fun show. So, a little shout out <laughs> to them. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Google Bordello. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the songs we couldn't play because of the FCC. No, um, <laughs> but it figures uh, into your, your life, Jeff, because another love of yours seems to be Russia. <laughs> to Russia with love or yeah. something. That's this section of the, the conversation. Uh, you, did you study Russian as an undergrad and then go, go to it? Well, your book, I- your, uh, your story 
in uh, the Best American Non-Required Reading, 2006, is False Cognate. Mm-hmm. And so it is, is, that's a short story, right? It's, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. like a travel diary. Congratulations on being alive <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and having New Balance shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, that, that story is about being on a bus with a, a Chechen suicide bomber, which they call Black Widows. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's this protracted, long, drawn-out war in Chechnya, and so many men died that the women would just sort of turn themselves into suicide bombers, go to Russia and try and wreak havoc. But um, And so I sort of was trying to tie it to, like, the grammatical misunderstanding. And yes, with with barber and, and the word for prostitute in Russian. Yeah, well, <laughs> nice a, a word for prostitute. <laughs> oh, yeah, <you> know? okay. <laughs> But, yeah, so the guy, uh, he asks a woman for, a Russian woman for a barber, and she misunderstands and thinks that he's asking for a baba, and it leads to his um, his being estranged from the group. So, <laughs> which seems lucky for him. <laughs> seems sort of, uh, he has a lot more adventure, yeah. A lot less camaraderie, but a lot more adventure. So. Maybe camaraderie with the Russians instead of the traveling group. Um, for all you study abroad students out there, yeah. don't be afraid to be out there on your own. <laughs> That's what Jeff's yeah. obviously <laughs> saying in this story. <laughs> well, it's it's totally Im- improbable thesis. I mean, there's really no way, that, no reason why a suicide bomber would be on that particular bus. I just invented it, so... And and you you are the um, uh, in Saint Petersburg. You're the 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 study abroad liaison or the, the in residence writer. No, in there's residence. this program called Summer Literary Seminars in Saint Petersburg, and that's one that uh, I've been working with for a long time now. And uh, so it's kind of a be a beautiful city to be in. It's I'd an imagine. amazing city. I haven't it's been an there. amazing city. Yeah, and uh, it has this tremendous energy. Partially because uh, it's white nights there, um, so oh. it never gets dark, and so it resets your biorhythms, but partially because um, it just has, it's such a weird place. It's a city that shouldn't be built by a madman on a swamp, like on the bones of however many hundred thousand serfs. And Sounds and like, also like Orlando, Walt Disney. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, kind of, in a way, yeah. I mean, it has that kind of... Uh, uh, I'm not sure how to say it, but that kind of false presence to it, you know, it, it feels very artificial, but yet uh, it happens to be the place where so many of the great Russian writers kind of came get up. their inspiration and yeah. somehow, yeah. Oh. So, so a literary city, nonetheless. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's linked with its artifice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> to throw out one of those MFA words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They use that in MFA, artifice? Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, not. Maybe only the poets do. Mm. Yes. That could be. That could be. <laughs> um, well, maybe back to, to briefly, the, the song that we let off with today, Warm mm-hmm. Devil, um, that figures into your book, Oven Man. Uh, and it's great that a friend of yours... You, will you tell us the story about Warm Devil? Um, well, uh, in the book... In the book, the uh, the guy is um, a singer in a band, and um, but you get the sense that probably all the members of the band don't want him 
as the singer. And so he's, uh, he has a restriction in that he can only sing his own words to one, maybe two songs per show. To all the rest, he's r- restricted to just the name of the band, Worm Devil. So he has to find ways uh, <laughs> to differentiate that throughout the set. And... Um, Oh, well, one of my friends is a musician. He's in a uh, great band in out of Alabama called 13 Ghosts. And we were talking and, uh, you know, he said, well, let me try and let me try and cut a couple versions of that. And he cut them and they were really funny. So we put them on the website. Oh, wait, and what is the website, Jeff, in case anyone would like to go to it? It's uh, uh, com. Oh, that's great. Um yeah, Worm Devil, when in Florida. <laughs> and so also, if people have forgotten what that sounded like, we'll be going out on that at the end of the program right. as well. All we'll right. have Worm Devil resurfacing. <laughs> <laughs> so so I also I noticed that you you were um you you wrote a book Life and Limb uh with uh Soft Spell oh, Press. No, that was, was a that? um that was an anthology. Oh an anthology that you okay. I d I didn't uh, there was actually a very early version of the first chapter of Oven Man appeared there. It was a collection of writing by skateboarders. So edited by uh, this guy named well by a bunch of guys, but uh Justin Hawking was the guy who I was in touch with. So And so is skateboarding did that is that something that because your character is doing that all over town um is that also something that that is obviously one of your interests or not uh, and it was just random that your no, book yeah, yeah. <laughs> features no, I, it and <laughs> no i spent my youth skateboarding i recently uh, had a injury a knee injury so i think i'm that's done. how you picked up your your knee injury was on the skateboarding yeah, uh, yeah. like a ramp what were you doing um well, there are, there are skate parks all over Toronto, and um, I just I just stepped off funny, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then on Living Writers, we like to revisit one of the sadder moments of the writer's life. No, just kidding. Yeah. Like, Why am I talking about this with Jeff? It's, okay. Why don't you do, you, do you have a section of the book you'd like to read for us? Uh, like, just to give, since we're talking about it so much, so folks who haven't read it yet could get a sense of it hear your voice on the page sure sure um should i just read from the beginning or that would be great or any anywhere if you've got lots of yellow tags there yeah i've got tags i've tried to do different readings but they all have different durations you got a duration <laughs> well, maybe three minutes. Does that sound good? Does that sound too harsh? <laughs> introductions, probably three minutes. Okay. It's got a yellow tag. So, so I feel like it's authentic. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a moment, waking up after this caliber of drinking is like birth. There's all this nothing. Then my eyes pop open. The Florida sun hangs there in the open window, blinding me. My hand finds a yellow post-it stuck to my elbow on which I seem to have written, you don't know much. But I do know something. I've lost the horror with the kinky triangular frame. I can't really even say no, more like got a feeling. Like I've got a feeling my bike, my long-range vehicle of choice, is gone. 
Like, I've got a feeling I've been fired from Ken's Barbecue, where I've spent five mornings a week for the past year as butcher pit cook, quartering chicken, yanking out pork bones, spraying green stuff off racks of ribs with bleach water before splitting them. I've got a feeling me and Blaze went out to celebrate my premier firement. I've got a feeling we celebrated. I sit up and find myself polka-dotted with yellow post-its, some of them blank and some of them scribbled on, nearly illegible markings that are all trying to tell me something, but it's hard to know what. I take one from the top of my foot that seems to be a doodle of a U-lock with the words vehicular misplacement underneath. A crumpled note is tangled up in my chest hair, longer than a standard post-it, and on closer inspection, I see that it is a yellow notice to appear and not a post-it at all. Two boxes are checked, disorderly conduct and open container. Below this, in the comments section, subject was witnessed kicking around city property, pylons, in the east wing of city lot P with a half-full can of natural light. Subject then urinated on said pylons, the newer hard plastic ones. Subject informed me that the line inside the bar was too long and, quote, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't hate orange. I encourage subject to head home. These are my fourth and fifth misdemeanors and will no doubt mean trouble. Last time I went before a judge, that time to take care of over 2K in parking tickets, a figure he dropped to 500, a figure I've yet to pay, he said to me, Son, this represents a serious caricature flaw. His southern made certain words more syllabled. Yes, sir, I agreed, considering myself lucky. When your arms are covered in faded blobs of green tattoo, and you've been unsuccessful in locating your single long-sleeve shirt, and you discover crust in your eye at the very moment the judge demands, his double chin pulsing, to know just what type of citizen it is you preport to be, you expect much worse things than tries to your character. Caricature. As for the pylon business, I do hate orange. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> that was great. I, d I did just reread that part this morning, too. Um, so that was that was the section that um, when did that when did you start writing Oven Man? Was it when you were at Syracuse or did it come later or? Yeah, I mean, actually, a, a really er early version of it was my was my thesis at Syracuse, uh, which, you know, I had a horrible version of it in 1999. And what was what was uh, like looking back? What what was wrong with it? that it was just really undeveloped um the language wasn't uh, the language wasn't yet at the level where it was working and you know it's such that if the language doesn't work the book doesn't work so, so basically all the ideas uh, were there but like, yeah the sketch the sketch of the the narrative was there but basically i threw it in a drawer for about three years worked on some stories it kept calling me back, and so uh, finally one day I, I took it out and decided I was going to give another whack at it, and uh, and I liked how it came out. So, and when you were um, giving it a whack, um, that <laughs> <laughs> um, what 
how <laughs> better than whacking it yeah. am i allowed to say that yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. how did you <laughs> but i'm just thinking i don't know quite how 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 did you go about that because like did you just go from um like start rewriting rewriting it right away yeah, or yeah. did you just or did you um just start fresh where you thought i'm gonna start that morning when when works up wakes up yeah um, <laughs> i um I had to just start rewriting from scratch. Yeah, it's uh, it was the only way to do it. It was the only way to do that kind of edit. Do, um, do you have um? Did you have a writing community? Because being out like when you're at, in in a program like Syracuse, you're working with George Saunders and mm-hmm. uh, and others. I'm, I'm sure that uh, were mm-hmm. were maybe great were influences. Um, and there you have like this these group of people that you work with. When you were what what did it after school for you? Um, what what sort of writing community did you have, or was that not the case with this? It was solitary work when you went back to Oven Man. Um, it was kind of solitary work. I I mean I have some friends who I trust, um, and there's a, another guy at Syracuse named Arthur Flowers who was a really big help um, on this. Uh, I mean basically I was just uh, I couldn't. Um, I basically just needed to work on it more. And uh, and so that's what I did. And once I once I put in the work, it came out. But uh, yeah, and I guess it's that <laughs> thing where you said it doesn't it doesn't let let um, there was something about the story itself that you didn't give up on because yeah. some people say, well, you've got to put things in the drawer, and some things have to stay oh, in I've the drawer. Oh, I've got things in the oh. drawer. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not like you have Believe empty me. drawers. Yeah, I've got things in the drawer. <laughs> okay. i got lots of things in the drawer. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that, what you're saying is absolutely right, because there are some things that uh, you're just you're comfortable having in the drawer, and they don't call you back, you know? You don't find yourself... Um, you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about them and thinking about, like, how you screwed up that scene. And and that's the thing. That's what brings me back is I think about how, like, I screwed up that scene. I didn't get it right. So try and try and rewrite it. Because it's still in try your, get it right. your subconscious there. So it kind of yeah, comes yeah. out and, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, something about it hangs on to you, so... And that and that became Oven Man <laughs> by Tin House Press yeah, here, yeah. put out by Tin House Books. Um, well, let's let's take a short break. You're listening okay. to Living Writers, Jeff Parker, and we'll be right back. When you were young, you were the king of cauliflowers. The tower tumbling through the trees In holy rattlesnakes that fell all around your feet And your mom would stay 
Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Jeff Parker. Uh, it's great to have you here, Jeff. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's fun. Um, <laughs> I brought Jeff a, an orange. So <laughs> She did. I've just been fondling it the whole interview. <laughs> I feel like we should be... Um, I should have brought uh, two more so you could perhaps juggle. Do you have any? Oh, well, actually, like, can I, I can juggle. You can, yes? Yeah, I'm a, it's actually one of my few skills, my few like real-life skills. Besides writing and, and teaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do you juggle? Writing, teaching, juggling. juggling. Those are the three things I'm competent at. It's so. an important trinity. Yeah. <laughs> where do you, where, why, why juggling, Jeff? You know what? My mom owned a, uh, a party house. When I was a kid, what's a party house? It's a house where um, kids have parties. <laughs> Apparently, I've had like a repressed childhood or something. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a place where uh, you know if your parents want to to give you a special birthday when you're a kid, they hire um, they hire this place out. Oh, so is there? And a, they have a- clowns and jugglers and. You know, I dressed up as a superhero for kids' parties, and it was a traumatic, traumatic youth. Oh, yeah, and I was the (laughs) least convincing Superman you could ever imagine at the age of 14. It's that would be a hard age to wear tights, I would think, in public. They were sagging, and (laughs) And the kids would look at me disappointed, the parents would look at me disappointed. So, so you decided to start juggling. So it wasn't just, hello, I'm a superhero. Well, there was a jug, they had a juggler on staff who was actually really, he was a really good juggler. And he just sort of taught me some stuff. Um, For a brief while, I could do like four, juggle four things, but I can't anymore. I can only juggle Large things or small things? Oh, I could do clubs, yeah. Mm. But Cl- I, I can't clubs, anymore. Clubs could, meaning so. like the like the bowling pole. Yeah, like pins, bowling sort pins. Of? Okay, yeah. pins. Yeah, why do yeah. I call them clubs? <laughs> it sounded kind of <laughs> like woo. <Yeah. laughs> kind of really. That's like maybe heavier than you'd think necessary for a child's party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so there's always Vegas that could be you know something in your future. No, no, the dreams ended dreams in Florida. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> would you ever go back to florida jeff or i wouldn't mind it i wouldn't mind getting back to some nice weather someday yeah toronto is so different but florida has become this very different place since i lived there you know primarily uh, because of 2000 it's so just iconic you know it seems like whatever is happening in the country like florida is somehow uh, a symbol of it you know like we're in the housing crisis and like it's worst it's the worst in south florida um, you know the there's a controversial election well it's florida's fault you know whatever it is it's always right. comes back to florida serial killers serial florida. killers yeah yeah <laughs> no they don't what put it is. they don't put that on the postcards no no, no. they don't <laughs> <laughs> well anyway we won't go on go on and on about florida unless you want to jeff because this is the time capsule of you yeah but but let's get back to your writing (laughs) let's get back get back to that well who would you say are your your as a writer is it is it possible to even know who your influences are like who you know who 
is it people you're reading or is it people writers who have been in your life or let me just say one more thing about florida <laughs> i i like this question but let me no, just say one more thing probably be more interesting <laughs> who are your influences jeff no, no, no. I, I, I like that question, but it's just something came to my mind, and, and it's sort of articulated in the book. But, you know, Florida is just this weird place, and, uh, like, one of the things about uh, the book and uh, about the relationship between the character and his buddy is his buddy's, like, this great skateboarder, but he, um, you know, there are just sort of no opportunities because uh, Florida is just this... You know, at the time, it was everything was happening in California, like everything that was valued. In West ways. Coast was the yeah. yeah, but also like this particular place in particular, it's a very strange place because there are swamps there, there are sinkholes, there are springs. If you go in uh, an hour west, you're at the Gulf of Mexico. If you go an hour east, you're in the Atlantic Ocean, and so it just just strikes me as such a fertile place for and things to happen, for things to grow. And, yeah. You know, and, like, and poisonous things, like anything that's alive. Poisonous things are there. And, and sort of, yeah, yeah. Or alligators and every sort of spider or snake that might bite, you know, that could be poisonous lives there. Yeah. It's a very inhospitable place in some ways. I mean, it has some aspects of paradise, but it's also very inhospitable. So... The hurricanes. Hurricanes, yeah. You have to build like these mall strongholds for all the senior citizens to have air conditioning in. Yeah, yeah. And for example. And because the aquifer is so close to the surface, you can't seek shelter in basements. And it's like, <laughs> what is this place? <laughs> it's a terrible place. <laughs> and, and it's a wonderful place it's and a, a terrible place. So. That's, that's what's so, it is so interesting about it. I, did you ever read that book, The Orchid Thief? That the that then they meant um, they went on. I saw the movie. Su- yeah, or <laughs> Susan Orlean. Yeah. yeah, the book is really good, actually. Yeah, not yeah. that the movie isn't, but it's yeah. Florida is, and and I think the weirdness in Florida is also captured uh, in your book, and and uh, and especially the the youth culture. And I don't want to say youth culture weirdness, but I guess that's what I mean. So uh, youth culture weirdness, because there's a line in here that uh, the the narrator, when says at one point where you just feel like you really you've made the reader sort of on his side somehow like you, you, you know, and and like like he's likable, even though he does do all these these you know there's a robber you know like all these things he always blacks out. Um, but at one moment he says, I want more holes in me. And you think, and that's, so that's like, oh, and he says it to put it in some sort of context. He's talking about piercing because somebody who's, he's sort of in love with is, is a, is a young pierce or a woman right, who pierces right. things and um, pierces him. He was date pierced. Um, right. At some point, <laughs> yeah. but then goes back for more here. And mm-hmm. it's just sort of these, these moments where you think, cause that would be um, the piercings. This is to quote from the book. Piercings are tiny release valves. Yeah. Right. And and then there's this other wonderful... So there are these moments where you're saying that you don't want it to be a reflective book, and it's not as if there's these other, uh, you, you know, your writer omniscience is, is, is breaking through past when. But there are moments that, that seem really true to what you spoke about at the beginning, Jeff, about what's 
this character's reality. And I think you do represent that um, in, 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 in a, like a true respectful way. Like so there's something really genuine about this story, whether it's um, taking pride in how you wash a floor and breaking down how you would go about approaching a, a dish pit that's, you know, got pepperoni stuck on it. And, and there's a line where you say, I'm going all over here, so bear with me. Sure. We, we strike another day from our remaining days to live. Right. And I think that's, that's so, that's a beautiful <laughs> moment about, and that, that he and the, the piercing girl, Mia, uh, you know, and they cheers to how she'll have more days than he because of the woman's longevity. Life is, is right. life expectancy. Yeah, they start to, they just do some simple calculations and figure out roughly how many days they have. And it seems like a very small amount. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so more little side note there. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it seems like you're capturing a lot of things, whether it's the... Um, that's a way to talk about this character. That's why I was just so interested in the ways that you talked about this character. Because even though I don't think I consciously thought, oh, he's working in these confines of this. I don't know. I feel bad for saying I, I don't because I don't think he has a limited intelligence. He just uses it in a different way. Right. Or you're no, saying that he does. Have a yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he's a very bright guy. Um, he's a. If he is, his intelligence is dulled. So, by the natural light and the whiskey, and yeah, yeah, from all the behaviors he engages in, and maybe from the place itself. You know, it's a, it's an oppressive place in some ways, if only by the heat, but also by the, uh, you know, well, you know, Flannery O'Connor talks about like all Southern fiction uh, suffers from like the the legacy of the civil war like she likens it to the south having experienced like the fall of man like the biblical fall of man so mm -hmm. things are different there did you did you <laughs> they sure are I know, but I speaking could. of influences there's one flannery, flannery o'connor yeah. who of course uh, well who who does what american writer doesn't she influence but yeah she's big did so. did you in, did you read her book Mystery and Manners? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big. That's book. one of the best books on writing there is, I think. So, yeah. It's funny. I think it, in some ways, I I bet this conversation keeps coming back to to Florida, which is good since that's the setting <laughs> for the book. Yeah. Um, what other writers then? So Flannery O'Connor uh, being. Yeah, there's um, another Florida writer uh, named Harry named Harry Cruz. Uh, oh, do you that's, know him? Yes, yeah. yeah. He was actually but one of my one of my teachers when I was at Florida. And, um, you know, and both he he and Flannery O'Connor have a have probably a much darker vision than you know th this book uh, uh, is not that dark. I don't think though. Like maybe it has its moments, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I really I really always admired what those two were doing. Um, Paget Powell also. Um, uh, but more as a stylist. Uh, How so? And, uh, well, you know, Paget Powell's one of those writers who he just, like uh, a writer like Sam Lipsyth, I think, who just let, uh, they let the language sort of dictate the the story, and they're they're both completely willing to to follow the the language rather than 
you know, a narrative arc, which is kind of brave and uh, risky. And when it, when it works, pays off big. So um, I admire that kind of thing, though, you know, I can't, I can't do that. And I can't do what, uh, what O'Connor was doing either. But, you know, there's aspects of all those things that you just sort of uh, try to do better. So you and eventually, hopefully arrive at your own thing. So <laughs> hopefully, so hopefully, yeah. So, so you have a sense then of what, what you can do with writing. Yeah, yeah. George Saunders has this good thing he talks about. He actually wrote an essay about it in his introduction to um, Mark Twain's uh, Huckleberry Finn, the, the latest version. And he, he just talks about this really interesting thing. And he, uh, he says, uh, every writer has this thing called, uh, and he capitalizes every word, like what this writer does and does well. You know, and like that's the thing that you you don't have to practice. But then he brings in this metaphor of the the people mover, and like a writer who just does this thing, what he does and what he does well, is the equivalent of like shoveling dirt uh, on a people mover. Like eventually, it just bogs down. It just doesn't work. So it's sort of important to know your strengths, but also important to know your weaknesses, and you know, not necessarily overcome them, but address them. You know, so you know, okay, like, I can never really do what Raymond Carver does. I can never do that kind of domestic realism. But, you know, somehow I'll, um, I'll find some ways to incorporate, you know, whatever it is, um, the kinds of uh, realistic dialogue, the kind of um, details that create that setting. Uh, you know, whatever the ambiance is or whatever it is that you can't do, you sort of address it and you find ways to incorporated in and part of doing that is that writing from your own time and place is that how you go about it jeff like finding these things that you because i guess it is interesting to hear you list off well it's not like i can do this like raymond carver or you know so being i don't know having articulated that to yourself uh i don't know so so how do you go like, is it something where you go to a place that you know intimately and try to write about the time? Because you said you, there's a, a character's voice that we haven't heard, you know, a, an unliterary narrator with a... Mm -hmm. a it's, not, right. it's obviously not coming to age novel, but <laughs> like on the cusp of growing. Uh, right. Um, you know, it's a... I mean, all I was taking from the from the Saunders thing was just, um, you know, you sort of, you realize that probably you understand what maybe your talent is or what what is that one thing you do well and then you sort of have to be very, um, very strict with yourself in terms of, you know, limiting your exposure to that. And how do you discover what it is? Is it something that, that you feel like people told you and you were like, oh, and it's something that you could recognize so you could believe believe that? Or is it something that you just came upon and what you, what, what was a, like what came as, like it was easy for you as you were doing it? Like whether it was creating a, an arc, a narrative arc, as you mentioned, or? None of it came easy for me. <laughs> But I think some things come easily for some people. <laughs> so, 
Um, well, you know, I was always just working. And so the wor- so maybe the discipline <laughs> is something that like because you have like I don't really have that either. <laughs> we're gonna okay we're gonna take a short break (laughs) and when we come back we're gonna talk about all the good things that you do have jeff parker on living writers you're listening to wcbn fm ann arbor Welcome back. Um, if you're just joining us, look at you because you've caught the last few minutes with Jeff Parker on, on Living Writers. Um, thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks. And um, when, whenever you come back to town. Thanks for the orange. Come on by. Oh, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Florida. And, and again, thanks to Alex Belhodge for, for engineering today. Um, all right. So let's, let's jump back into it because we've got Oven Man. And you also, what, what's the title? You said you have another collection that's out. Um, can, you, can you tell us the title of that book and a little bit? Oh, it's a little book I worked on with, a, with an artist uh, called The Back of the Line. Uh, Back of the Line? What, yeah, it's a small uh, sequence of stories that uh, I sort of took the point of view of one narrator and did the stories, and he sort of took the view of another character there and did the art. It was published by his, his gallery in, uh, in Seattle, actually. What, um, so. oh, okay, and what, what gallery is it? What? It's called Decode. Decode. Or okay. the gallery is called Platform, but their their imprint is called Decode. And and so, how was it working in this collaborative way? Is that something that you you've done? Well, you've obviously yeah, yeah. been working with people on anthologies because you've got the the one we mentioned, the Life and Limb mm-hmm. anthology, and then also the the America. I'm, I can't find yeah, it, yeah, the, that was a Russian. collection of essays on the U.S. by Russian writers. But this was actually which, artistic in, in nature, where you were producing new work in collaborative. Right, work. yeah. Um, and actually, I'm working on him right now. We're trying to do this hybrid of um, a novel and a graphic novel uh, together. So we're sort of struggling through that right now. And uh, is it is it um, an, an idea... That you had, and you thought, "Oh, we'd, we'd both work well together." Or did he pitch yeah, we something were, to you? Yeah, we work or? well together, and we've got similar um, aesthetics and similar um, interests. So we just thought we'd we'd give it a go because we're both really interested in the graphic novel form and and also in uh, 
you know, lit- literary fiction. So figured we'd try and make something in between and see how it looks when we're done. Yeah, because so. that's like a, it's a really f- uh, fertile uh, area to work in now. We had on on the program uh, Anthony LePay and Dan Goldman with their graphic novel Shooting War. Mm-hmm. So, so, but but the section in the bookshop is is growing. It seems like there's more yeah, and there's space really interesting the stuff. Yeah, so. Um, and and is it um is it he does does he live in Toronto as well or is it no he lives in New York so it's yeah so that's interesting like a different element to collaboration when you're working long distance in a way yeah yeah we're we're actually um one of the sections of it takes place at the former Etch-a-Sketch factory in Bryan Ohio and so, actually, uh, later this month, we're, we're taking a trip out there to go see what the uh, what the factory looked like. Nice research trip. Yeah. Well, it's actually a sad story because they outsource the um, they outsource the production of the etch a sketch about seven or eight years ago to China, and so all these people who had sort of made their living working for the Ohio Art Company just building the Etch-A-Sketch, one of these classic American toys, suddenly were out of jobs. So. So, so, this, so this graphic novel will be, um, so we'll, it seems like it will have a social component, like a social commentary. Uh, not that that's its main focus, because I can see you kind of recoiling, like, what are you saying? No, no, not really <laughs> recoiling, but yeah, that'll, that'll play a part in it, um, that sort of encroaching of... Um, you know, whatever, uh, whatever all this business is, that changes the, the old way, right. or the new way. Right, right. Which is, of course, an old story, but nonetheless. But <laughs> but this is our story of our time right now. How we're experiencing it is, yeah, it's in this different shape, isn't it? Right. It, it seems like you, and maybe this is a generalization that you can surely call me on if it is. But it, you, it seems like there was a you made a point to address like the war uh, in some respects in Oven Man and even reading um, False Cognate, it was as if like there was that political component of, of course, why would she be um, willing to be a suicide bomber? You know, like, so there's this, um, there's these, they're not the the prominent part of the story, but it seems to be a a presence in your work. And it seems like even in this, this new graphic novel idea. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always there. Um, I guess it's sort of a, you know, sort of an extension of this sort of like modernist idea of, um, you know, free will sort of being, um, um, being uh, susceptible to great enormous forces, you know, which can dictate fates. But in in Oven Man, you know, the guy has this, uh, the war is always peripheral, so, and he never contemplates sort of, well, I mean, his relationship to all that's very strange. It's more like a TV program he watches than something he seriously considers, so. Yeah, and and you have a scene where you show how peripheral it really is when he's with his his bio dad, and the bio dad is completely clueless, and he's like, why why is that even going on, and. Right, and our narrator says, "Or your narrator, <laughs> right?" Um, oil, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean that kind of story is even, 
it seems to be surfacing again right now because, uh, right, they have this new movie, Stop Loss, and basically there's this, this backdoor draft such that the only people who are really experiencing the war are, you know, military families who keep being sort of recycled and all the rest of us are, are easily removed, far removed, um, such that it's just a unpleasant headline. So, yeah, I mean, uh, in that sense, the politics are there, but, I mean, it's certainly not a war novel or anything, so. No. No. No, that's, that's, what are your other current projects, Jeff? Because are you, do you, do you have many things going at, at yeah, once? Yeah, yeah, I have too many things. That's why I, I finish things so slowly, so. But I'm working on another novel, have a, a short story collection done, Trying to do a, a novel, um, um, which is uh, about animal rights terrorists. Uh, trying to go high concept <laughs> and see if it uh, if it can fall apart in a big magnanimous way. And was was the um, the the birth of that idea your your garter snake scene <laughs> in Oven Man? Oh, could you have a walk-on part that's for probably a, a the germ of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a walk-on there. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. The, the he uh, the PETA guy <laughs> says snakes are not a crime. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Which is a you know that old skateboarding sticker. Skate- exactly. Skateboarding is not a crime. But I got that. 